Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Welcome to The Last Word. Today is a special episode because we are at the end of the spring semester. So we made it. Y'all made it. We're here um, debriefing from the last crosstalk last night. Uh, JD is here who talked about um, what we are called to yesterday. And JD, I really liked the narrowing in on the first thing and the next thing and how the first thing is the like, love God and love others. We don't have to question, is this the right move? Is this what God has for me? Is this what I'm called to? It's like, we just know a hundred percent certainty that is what God is calling us to. And then, um, I think it's encouraging to have the next, to know there are next things and that we're not just kind of stopping there pretending like, like there isn't more, but that we just get to go with all everything that we are, personalities, passions, all of that. And so when I was thinking about this, I wanted to ask you, how do we actually, how can I practically keep when there is that temptation to bring the next mm-hmm. things and make yeah. them the first things? Yeah. How can I practically keep the next thing as the next thing and not accidentally move it and shift the first thing out of the way? Yeah, that is a really good question. I think that that's tension that people feel for the entirety of their lives. You never get to a point where you're like, I have mastered Mm -hmm. the art of making the first thing the first thing. And so I think part of that is a recognition. Like if we are cognizant of the fact that we have the temptation to make the next thing the first thing, then we're going to do so much better at continuing to make, to do the first things well. And I think quite frankly, we just need to simplify. Hmm. We need to to take out a lot of the complications that go with following Jesus. And we just need to simplify because hmm. when we simplify and we just turn our hearts towards God, we love him and we love others. Then the next things become really, really apparent and clear hmm. for us. It's yeah. when we live in the midst of this busyness and this clutter that oftentimes we get sucked into what we talked about last night, the subculture Mm. of the things that we do and those begin to inform us. And so we need to just simply make God the priority in our life. And through, by doing so, we will always keep the first thing, Mm. the first thing. Yeah, I really, I love that. I love how we, the first thing just makes everything else come alive. It doesn't Mm -hmm. deny it or cancel it, but it makes it all be that much better. And I know that that's, I love that that's God's heart towards us. He wants this stuff because he's, it's good for us. And then we just come alive in our dreams and passions in a way that we couldn't without loving God and loving others first. Um, and really you also talked about kind of challenged us that as believers, we are also leaders. And I know that can spark a lot of different feelings and I'm more of a perfectionist and I can tend towards like a performer striving kind of personality. And so that automatically makes me feel like, yeah, I'm going to lead and do all the things for God. And so I know there's a lot of different reactions, um, but I love how you challenged us and how it's supposed to be natural and that we are, that's who we are as we don't fall into the world, but as we lead. And so as we look, trying to be self-reflective, how would you 
say that we can tell if we're actually influencing the people around us or if the opposite is happening where others are having an influence on us? I think we need to first look at who we're surrounding ourselves with. Hmm. And if primarily are we surrounding ourselves with people who are pointing us towards the Lord or are we surrounding ourselves with people who are pointing us in a different direction? Mm. Because that's going to be a really good indication of one, how we're going to be influenced Mm. and two, how we have the possibility to influence others. And so when it comes to influencing others, it is just doing the everyday normal things of life with purpose. It's recognizing that there are purpose in those things and that the way that we speak is reflective of who God is. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's a it's becoming, you talked about last week, like our inner life. Mm-hmm. It's becoming aware of ourselves. It's becoming aware of God's presence in our life and allowing that to be lived out in very real and practical ways. Mm-hmm. And so for me, for example, I have been influenced by the cultures that I've been a part of my entire life. And in some really, really great and encouraging and helpful ways. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, I have to be conscious of the fact that I am more, my identity is more than the culture that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And for me, that has really played out in my personal habits in my life. I need to do a good job of pursuing the Lord in my personal life, setting aside time for him and whatever your spiritual practices look like on a daily basis. And then I act and I speak and I love and I serve out of that center. But if I go without centering myself on God, without recognizing God's presence, then I just am conformed to the culture of this world Mm -hmm. in those ways. Yeah. I mean, for me, what a, in college, the time for decentering for me was summer Mm -hmm. and, or breaks and kind of letting being out of routine, being out of some of my, depending on, you know, people that go home, I would leave my community of believers and go back into a world, you know, and friendships that I wasn't when I was there originally, I wasn't following Jesus. So they can naturally be more tempting or just less of kind of what you're talking about, not having that community of believers. And so as we look out into the summer now that it's here, um, as everybody is finishing their finals, um, I think that definitely for me, like I said, it's been a time, it was a time in college where I would let my foot off the gas in my faith and just kind of, you know, like I'll sleep in and then I get out of my routine. It can be that simple. Mm -hmm. And then I don't, therefore I don't read. And therefore now it's been weeks and months that I haven't been engaging in my relationship with God. And then of course, everything else kind of comes out of that from the decentering. And so I thought I would just ask if you could give us an encouragement for summer. I know for me, I jumped to, again, the to-dos like, okay, this summer, you know, if I was in college, it'd be like, this summer is going to be different. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and therefore I'm going to gain, you know, kind mm-hmm. of in my performance. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that. And it never worked for me. So I just wanted to ask how you would encourage us moving forward on how we cannot do that and not just waste what God has purposefully put in each of our next three months? Absolutely. I 
I was really blessed when I was a freshman and sophomore in college that I went back and I interned for a church, a really great church in Austin. And a big part of what they did at the beginning of every summer is they helped us with goal setting. And so we sat down and we spent, I think it was two full days, basically doing goal setting and spiritual inventory and health check-ins and things of that nature. And for me, that really set the tone for the way in which I was going to approach the summer because I set goals. I had measurable things that I wanted. And this isn't like a performance space, but it's a way for us to create a mindset and a perspective in our life that I have purpose during this time. Mm -hmm. And that's the big thing is creating purpose. Mm -hmm. And so you, you could be going home, you could be doing mission work this summer, you could go work for a church, you might just work at Chick-fil-A, or you might work at Target or wherever you normally go during the summer. Mm -hmm. But I would encourage you take some time before you hit that full throttle, and just go and set goals for yourself. Because if you set goals, you're so much more likely to do things with purpose in your life, especially when you get out of routine and you're out of your context, mm -hmm. because you're, you have the ability to fall back on like, what was the purpose of this period in time? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is who I wanted to become by the end of it. This is how I wanted to pursue God. Mm -hmm. And for me, I look at that and I say, God is faithful in those things. God is faithful. If we set goals and we pursue him, God is faithful to bring to fruition the growth that we want to see. And it might not be in the ways in which we expect it, but God is faithful. Mm -hmm. And God is in the midst of this season. Mm -hmm. God is bigger than Crosstalk. He's bigger than Texas State. He's bigger than Cypress Creek Church. Mm -hmm. God wants to be in every avenue of your life if you allow him to. And goal setting is a great way for you to begin to conceptualize that in a really helpful way. Hmm. That's awesome. I love that. God really is purposeful even when I want to just coast and put on cruise mm -hmm. control. Yeah. Um, well, I would just want to give you the last, last word <laughs> for right now um, for this semester. Do you have anything that you would add or just tell us before we leave? Yeah. Like we talked about last night, go and lead with confidence, mm -hmm. knowing that biblical wisdom is the truth and character of God lived in context. If we pursue those things, we're going to ha have great influence on the people around us. The truth and character of God lived in context and know that you don't go alone. Um, we as the Crosstalk family, we are with you. Um, mm -hmm. We have the ability to be with you digitally. Your relationships don't stop just because the semester stopped. Mm -hmm. And so reach out when you're in when you're in need, when you need help, when you want support. We want to be a part of your community, even if that's in a distant way. And mm -hmm. we're here to support you in doing so. And so if you guys need stuff over the summer, we're here. We're only mm -hmm. a phone call away or it's an easy drive. And we are willing to go and to meet needs. And so stay in touch, uh, stay involved with us on social media, and we will see you guys again in August. Have a great summer. It is a great privilege to be able to proclaim the name of the Lord in this place, and especially during this time, especially in a time of high stress where you have a lot of going on. And it means that more than likely you had to make a choice that involved sacrificing of time you could be spending getting things done to be here. And I I grew up with I don't I don't know if the, 
I love this thing. My parents had always taught me when I was growing up, when we talked about time management, we talked about setting aside time to spend time with the Lord or anything like that, that in these seasons of stress and these overwhelming times, that when we set aside time for God, he does more with the remaining time that we could have used than if we took that entire time for ourselves. And so that's the beautiful part about taking some time here, set apart to commune with God, commune with other people in community, is that we know when we go back out from this place that God is faithful to do more with our remaining time as we've made him a priority in our lives. And so it's really cool. We've been talking about here for the last three weeks, we've been in a sermon series titled Called. And this sermon series has really explored the concept of calling and how it plays into the way in which we follow Jesus on a daily basis, in everyday life. And we started out the first week by talking about our primary call. And this primary call is really the universal call that we all have as human beings. And that is simply to follow Jesus. If we look even from the beginning, right there in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created us to be in relationship with him. And by our own human choices and fault, we now live in a sinful and broken world. And what God has done through the work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, is that he has provided us a way back into relationship with him. And ultimately, the story of scripture shows us that God wants that relationship with all of humanity, that he wants to be in relationship with every person. And so what we see here is that our following of Jesus is simply God's call for everyone because that's how we enter into relationship with him. Our primary call is to follow Jesus. And our following of Jesus is defined by two commandments given by Jesus himself. First one he says is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second one is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That is our primary call for everyone to follow Jesus by loving God and loving people. So we talked about that the first week, and then we turned the corner and we and we asked the question, where are we called? In this, in this question, really, we saw that we are called to love God and to love others in the context that we already inhabit. In the places that we are every day, so that means that it's our dorm rooms, it means that it's our classrooms, our houses, our apartments, it's in our workplaces, and it's in our friend groups. And what that involves is a changing of perspective for us because we view the people that we see every day not as annoying or disrespectful or hurtful or exclusive. We see those people as human beings created and loved by God. And how we engage in those contexts is largely determined by our perspective on the time in which we live. When we look here in the New Testament, we see that the earth is not our home. And we see that we are to view ourselves as living in exiles. Peter says that we are strangers and aliens in this land. And because that's the case, we, we view the world around us very differently than everyone else. Because the, the, the pattern of the world is to ask the question, what do I get out of it? The blessings are the end in and of themselves. 
So that goes for our relationships, it goes for our jobs, it goes for everything in life. You are asking, you're doing an internal cost-benefit analysis where you are looking at what do I get out of the relationship here? And does my what I get out equal more than what I put into it? Because then that's something that's worthwhile for us. And what we see here is that if we view ourselves as those living in exile, we no longer go to church, we no longer go to community seeking the blessings of a relationship with God, but we seek what we can give into those communities. An exilic living shows us that community isn't a place to just consume, but a place to give of oneself in a way that is sacrificial. And then last week, we talked about the question, how are we called? And Paulina showed us that God not only wants us to believe in him, but he also wants us to follow him. And in this, we saw that God's heart for us is holistic in the fact that he wants all of our life to be more conformed daily into his image. And that means that following Jesus is a both and and not an either or. It means that God wants us to believe and that God also wants us to follow. That God wants our inner life and God wants our outer life as well. And Paulina challenged us with the question, and this is such a good question, do people know what I believe by the way that I follow? Do people know what I believe by the way that I follow? And the answer is that in every aspect of our life, in small things and in big things, with our family, with our friends, and even our enemies, we are to live out the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Not simply to believe it and hold it dear in our own heart, but to live that into the world around us, into the context that we talk about that we're already inhabiting. And so today, we close out this series, and really we close out the school year by exploring the question of to what are we called? To what are we called? And this is just a grammatically correct way of asking a question that is way more understandable. And the question that's more understandable is, What is God calling me to? What is God calling me to? And in a grammatical sense, you can't end a sentence with a preposition. And so it has to be the other way around. But this makes more sense, right? What is God calling me to? Because that's really the question that drives so much of our time spent on a daily basis and really seasons of our life. College is a question where you're asking, what am I going to do conceivably for the rest of my life? Or what I believe I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And so this question oftentimes for us is at the very forefront of our minds. What is God calling me to? And I told you guys when we started this series about a time in my life where I found myself seeking direction and seeking direction as it pertains to God's will, trying to understand what God wanted me to do. And that moment was just one of many moments in my life where I've asked the same question where I've looked at my life circumstances, God, I don't know what what you're calling me to. And I can also tell you that I have had countless numbers of conversations with other people who are asking the same sort of question. And for a thoughtful follower of Jesus, this seeking of God's will is natural and it's compelling. It drives us deeper and deeper into a relationship with him, and it's very natural for us to ask. Because when we have decided that we want to love God and we want to love others, then we naturally want to know what God wants from us. 
And so we enter into this phase that can oftentimes be approached with a lot of anxiety. Maybe you're somebody who's graduating in two weeks and you still don't have a job lined up. And you're saying, God, what am I, what are you calling me to? Or maybe it's in the midst of times of transition, like changing jobs, or you're deciding who you're going to date or who you're going to marry, or it is really where you're going to go to college or should I transfer? And we also enter into these periods in times of great pain. And so maybe you're mourning the loss of someone. And we ask the question, what is God calling me to in these seasons? And in the midst of those situations, we as followers of Jesus need to be certain of two things, what we're seeking and to what end are we seeking it? What are we seeking and to what end are we seeking it? And it can be helpful in discerning the answers to those questions to distinguish. And we're going to put things in two categories tonight. Our first things and then next things. First things and next things. And first things are really, if we're seeking God's will and call in our life, the most substantial pieces of that calling have already been laid out for us in Scripture. And more primarily in the life of Jesus Christ. These first things are the things that are universal in nature for all of us who follow Jesus. And they're matters of character and of faith, of obedience and influence. And really, more than anything, it's a matter of priority in our life. And God's call for each of us, as we've talked about, is for us to love him first. To love him first and our neighbors second. And loving our neighbors means that by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we go and we show the fruits of the Spirit as we interact with the people around us. This is the primary call that we began the series talking about. Now, when it comes to this primary call, we see that these are things that without any special revelation or guidance from the Holy Spirit, with no anxiety or worry, with 100% confidence, we can daily pursue knowing that we are indeed living out God's will for our life. We no longer have to ask the question of what is God calling me to because it's this. It's been revealed to us in Scripture that we are to love God and we're to love others. In other words, these are the things that we should be doing no matter what. And these things come first. They're primary for us. And the beautiful part about these first things is that you go and you do them as you. There's no change involved, right? So we go with our own personality, we go with our own quirks, we go with our own interests, we go into the context that we already inhabit, and we just go as ourselves. Because there's an enormous amount of freedom in the broad scope of loving God and loving others. And we get to express that however we feel passionate about doing so which is a really beautiful thing that God gives us the freedom to create in these spaces. And then we move to the next things. And so beyond the first things, there are often next things when it comes to a relationship with God. And these next things assume, this is a key thing here, these next things assume all of the first things. But they move us in a particular context of it could be work, it could be ministry, it could be our relationships or friendships, it could be service or advocacy. This is where we get more specific. 
in our life. And people tend to assume that these next things take the form of jobs or something of that nature, but they don't always have to. They don't always have to. These could be things that are volunteer or passion projects, things that you just really feel a stirring in your soul for that no one pays you to do, but you do them because you love them. So whether that is leading a community group here with Crosstalk, or maybe you're serving with kids men, or you just love to babysit, or you love playing sports, and so you're one of the people who goes on Sunday afternoons and you just go play soccer, those are next things. Those are things that our passions and our interests move us beyond the first things into a specific direction. And these next things are the places really where our gifts and our talents and our education and our opportunities draw us towards avenues of following God that are deeply rewarding in our life. Deeply rewarding. And this is what we see here, and this is not just some theoretical thing that I can get up in front of you guys and talk about, like it's my philosophy from life. And what we can do is we can look here in the book of Daniel. And Daniel and his friends in Babylon demonstrate this concept for us of these first things and these next things really perfectly. And so for those of you who have maybe never read the book of Daniel, I'll give you some pieces here to understand it. So what happened, if we look back at the history of the nation of Israel, is that after Israel splits into two kings, you have the kingdom of Judah, and Judah gets taken over. It's the second kingdom to fall, but Judah is taken over by Babylon. And now Babylon was the world power at the time, and so what Babylon did is they came in, and when they took over a people group, they took those people out of their native land, and they dispersed them all over their kingdom. And so what they did with the Jewish people is they sent them all over every place that they controlled. Now, the purpose in doing so is that they wanted to take people out of their cultural heritage and try to force them to assimilate into the society that they moved into. They wanted them to no longer be Jews, but they wanted them to be Babylonians, to begin to take on the characteristics of the people groups that they're around. And so that's what we see happen here is that Babylon comes in, they take over, and King Nebuchadnezzar wants them to forget that cultural heritage. And so he takes the kind of the cream of the crop in terms of young Jewish men, and he brings them into his own court, into his own house, and he educates them. He educates them to become Babylonians. And so what you see played out throughout the story is that these young men repeatedly, they state that they belonged to God. And first and foremost, we see that played out when they live in Nebuchadnezzar's house. Here in Daniel chapter one, you see that, that the king is feeding them from his own table. They're eating great, but what Daniel and his friends are doing is that they, aren't, they don't want to eat the food that the king is providing because it goes against Jewish dietary laws. And in doing so, what they're doing is that they're claiming that they belonged to God by doing the first things. The primary thing of belonging to God by doing this. And the next things they carried out with this clarity of vision and resolve that meant that they could even face death in a lot of circumstances. Daniel chapter three is the really famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And the like quickest synopsis I can give you guys of that story is that basically King Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant gold idol. And he says that everyone has to bow down and they have to worship this idol. 
Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't. Somebody goes and tells the king on him. And so the king throws them in the furnace. And what we see is that these men were so convicted of the things of God that they would not bow down to the idol and would face even death. Now, the end result of the story is that they walk out of that furnace unharmed. And we see that God is glorified by King Nebuchadnezzar in that moment. Those are the next things. They move us out of our primary context into the things that God wants to move us towards. And it's critical for us to recognize that next things are not first things, and first things are not next things, right? We have to make sure that we get the order right when we talk about these things. They both matter and they're tied together, but order is important here. Because we need to be truly and fully clear that the call to the first things is primary in our lives. And there's this great temptation for us to take and make the next thing the biggest deal in our everyday life. So we go to work and we go to class and we forget who we are. We forget who we are and what our life is really about and how we're to seek and to to love and to serve others. And we become children of the culture that we're a part of. Mark Laberton in his book says that we enter the subculture of our activities and soon the reality of that culture begins to define and shape us rather than the other way around. And just to clarify his point, what he's saying here is that what we do ends up defining who we are as opposed to who we are defining what we do. That is the key of getting the first things first. What we do does not define our identity. Who we are defines what we do. That's the correct order for the things that happen in our life. And it's a really common place to end up. I would bet that almost all of us in this room have ended up in this place. For the first 19 years of my life, all that I did was I played baseball. Played it 12 months out of the year. I didn't know who I was outside of my athletic ability. And when somebody finally decided to stop inviting me to play, I had a major identity crisis in my life because I didn't know who I was. Everything about who I was and in my identity was wrapped up in my own athletic ability. And it left me in a really damaging place because my life was built on something that was temporal as as opposed to something that is eternal. And so I missed the proper perspective for all of those years of the gift of what could have been a fruitful ministry because I was focused on myself in those places. We are meant to pursue and develop first things as we go about the next things. If you look in the Bible, we see that God is much more passionate about the first things than he is about the next things. He cares a whole lot more about how we love him and our neighbor than he cares about our vocation. He cares a whole lot more about how we love him and our neighbor than he cares about our daily tasks and what we do for a job. And it's clear that we love God and our neighbor by how well we demonstrate that in the context that we already inhabit, which means that we live out the extraordinary call of following Jesus right in the midst of the ordinary actions of everyday life. And if we look at the world around us, it seems as though the speed and the scale of change is only increasing. I don't know if that is the reality or if that's just the felt need of the culture of the day, but it seems like the speed and the scale of change 
is only ever increasing right now. And there's this extraordinary amount of local and global change that is happening in the current moment. That's undeniable. And if we are just the slightest bit observant of the world around us, we see that things are not like they have been, and they're not like how we expected them to be. That's the reality of the times that we live in. And if there's anything that shows us that, it's been our last year of life, right? No one could have predicted that this would be something that we're dealing with. And this creates an immense need for people who know and live out the call to follow Jesus on an everyday basis. More specifically, what it does is that we see that Jesus-following leaders are desperately needed in every context right now. Leaders who know and love Jesus and lead out of that center are desperately needed in an ever more divisive culture in today's day and age. And here's something that I want to challenge you guys with. Every disciple of Christ is called to be a leader. Every disciple of Christ is in some measure supposed to be a leader. And that's true, but it's dependent upon how we define leader. And so a leader is someone who affects change in others by the way they live, act, and speak. A leader is someone who affects change in others by the way that they live, act, and speak. And today, more than ever, leadership is not a formal role or a job description. Leadership is having vision and passion that mobilizes others towards a common cause. And you might not think of yourself as being a leader. When I was in college, going to Ohio State, I was one of 65,000 students. Very small fish in a very big pond. And those of you guys sitting in this room, you guys are one of 38,000 students at Texas State University. And... I would bet that the vast majority of us do not hold a title or a position of leadership in our lives. And so I could very easily understand that you guys could sit in your chairs and you could say to me, JD, you just don't get it. I am not a leader. Look at me. I have no position of authority. I have no position uh, where I execute any sort of vision over the people around me. But before you jump to that conclusion, I would ask that you would hear me out. Because if we look critically at our lives and we're willing to be real with ourselves, what we see is that we all have the opportunities and the capacity and really, quite frankly, the responsibility to influence the world around us. We do. There are people who are involved in your life, whether you are aware of it or not, who are watching not in a creepy or a weird sense, but the fact of the matter is that they are watching how you act. They're watching how you speak. They're watching how you love. They're watching how you serve the people around you. And the way that you do that has an impact on them. And the world needs people like you and like me who have experienced the grace and love of Jesus Christ, who are thoroughly engaging in the world around us living in Christ-centered communities who are ready to lead. This is the possibility for transformational leadership in the world around us. And it begins by simply asking the question, who am I having influence on? Who am I having influence on? 
Because for the vast majority of us, we're never going to hold a job title where we execute authority over someone else. Then we're not going to be in the large-scale positions of leadership. And so we have to be really faithful with the people that God has entrusted to our care. And we all have people that God has entrusted to our care. That could be your roommates. That could be people in your community group and in your classroom. It could be your, gosh, it could just be in your workplace, the people you work with. The way that you speak, the way that you act, the way that you love them makes a difference in their life. It's the same reason that somebody can pick up a new way of saying something and then suddenly it spreads through a community of crosstalk and everybody is saying and doing or wearing the exact same thing. It's because we have influence on one another. So let's use that influence in a way that leverages it towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we go back to the example of Daniel and his friends, we see just this take place. Because what we see is that they made a difference in the court of a Babylonian king because they had hope in God's capacity to bring change combined with their own personal passion and vision to serve and engage with those around them. These are people who are alone in a king's court in their heritage. They have lost their homeland and hold no position of power other than King Nebuchadnezzar trying to change them to become more like him, and they are the force for change in the Babylonian nation under King Nebuchadnezzar. And they regularly practiced their identity first as the people of God in what they ate and not bowing down to idols, the first things. And then when the opportunity arose, they stepped up into the challenge, challenges that were presented, and they did it for the sake of themselves and the sake of others. If you look at Daniel chapter 2, now going from 3 to 2 here, what we see is that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And none of the wise men in King Nebuchadnezzar's court can interpret this dream. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says he's just going to kill all of them. Because none of them can interpret this dream. He's just going to kill all of them. Daniel hears about this and he says, wait, wait. And he goes off and he prays. And God gives him the interpretation to this dream. And what happens is that he goes and he tells King Nebuchadnezzar, of the meaning of this dream. And the meaning of the dream was not good for him. It was actually incredibly negative. But what we see in that instance is that, again, King Nebuchadnezzar glorifies God for bringing Daniel to interpret his dream, and he saves the lives of all of the other people in the king's court. Now, all of those other people in the king's court are the, are, were people who were trying to get rid of Daniel and his friends people who didn't like the Jews, wanted them. They're the people who ratted on him and sent his buddies into the fiery furnace. And what Daniel does is he acts out of his faith in who God was to enact change for even people who didn't love him or didn't like him. And in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has all the power in the world. But it's really Daniel and his friends who execute real leadership in the narrative. And if we look beyond the book of the story of Daniel and we look to the rest of the Bible, we ultimately see that the person of Jesus is the supreme example of this kind of leadership. Because you see, Jesus didn't hold position or stature. He didn't have military or political power. He didn't hold office in the temple. Jesus largely, if we look at his life, lived his life with those on the margins of society the sick, the broken, the outcast. But what we see is that Jesus led. 
Jesus lived. His hope-filled vision of the kingdom of God invited his disciples and ultimately us today to join in the commitment and the energy of faith that's needed to see God's kingdom work done here and now. And if we really take this as far as it goes, we see that Jesus led to and through the cross. He led to and through the cross and in order to enact in unique terms the beginning of this new kingdom in the midst of a lost and broken and that's the the that's the reframing of reality that has the ability to have a transformational effect when we as christian leaders introduce that into the world around us an offer of hope an offer of life into the midst of desperate circumstances. If you look at Matthew 28 at the end of Jesus's time here on earth, we see that he hands 11 disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, nobodies in society. He hands them nothing less than the entire authority of the kingdom of God. He charges those 11 disciples to go out and lead that kingdom life, baptizing and teaching all that he had commanded them. He orders them to bring a new identity into the world and a new vocation for those followers. And what he promises is that he will be there with them even to the end of the age. And this is the most unexpected and enormously encouraging vision of leadership that I have ever read. Because he empowered people who had no business leading a social, cultural, religious movement that brings us to where we are 2,000 years later. Mark Laberton makes the observation that the church, like the nation of Israel, keeps thinking it has to win and be the victor in order to have the power. Since the fourth century, when Constantine legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire, the church in the Western world has always aligned itself with power. The truth, however, is that God doesn't need that authority or power to accomplish kingdom ends. What's needed instead is a readiness to live our calling centered on Jesus, who alone gives us our identity and our hope. God doesn't need the authority or the power to accomplish kingdom ends. A readiness to live our calling centered on Jesus, who alone gives us our identity and our hope. Paul says it this way in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter three, he says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. We see here that it's not about winning in power. It's not. But setting our minds on the things that are above, setting our gaze on Jesus. And so, yes, you are one person out of 38,000 people on this campus, but that matters. Because we don't need to hold positions of authority and positions of power to affect real transformational change on the campus of Texas State University. We simply need 
to look upon and gaze upon Jesus and follow him humbly in loving God and loving others. And if we do that well, if we simply focus on following Jesus, we will become the wise leaders that the world so desperately needs. The definition of biblical wisdom is simply the truth and character of God lived in context. Biblical wisdom is the truth and character of God lived in context. And when all three of those elements are present and come together, we have the makings of wisdom. And when any of them is missing, we have the beginning of all sorts of danger in our life. Our calling is found in seeking the kingdom and letting it shape how we actually live and do so in ever-changing contexts in the world around us. The three dimensions of biblical wisdom are like three strands of a rope. You can envision it this way, where they rely on and affect the strength of one another. And so inside of that strands of a rope, each one is necessary for it to hold the weight of what's relying on it. And only together can they really hold that weight without becoming foolishness. Because we see what we see here is that truth, if it's just the truth and character of God in context, but it's not lived out, that's Bible bashing, quite frankly. When it's just the truth and character of God in context, without somebody coming alongside somebody and living that truth out, it is simply Bible bashing. That's why the number one Thing people associate with Christianity is being judgmental. And in the same way, if we have living in context, but we don't have the truth and character of God, basically we're living as the world lives. And so we need all three of those. They're integral to us and how we make a difference in the world around us. And when this happens in the context of a Christ-centered community, when others are given the chance to exercise their commitments and gifts that God has given them with faith and hope and love, God's people really come alive and begin to make a difference in the world. So let's be those kinds of people this summer. I, I, I always remember when I was in college panicking when I was going to go home for the summer because I was plugged into a really valuable community at school. And I was always really, really worried about what I was going to do at home because I was going to be out of routine. And now my faith had to become my own. It couldn't just be reliant on the organization or the group of people. And I would always wonder and I would struggle. I would have this fear that I was going to flounder. That I was just going to start to flounder and start to drown and that I was going to get dragged back into my old habits and my old ways that I had to have this really meaningful call from God during the summer to keep me grounded. And so what I would do, like, I would get to like January, February, and I would really start, like, I need to go find like what God is calling me to do for this summer because that's going to keep me grounded. It's going to keep me from walking away. It's going to keep me from struggling and all of these things. And what I wish someone would have done for me is simply just point me to Jesus and say, follow that guy. Because you can do whatever you want this summer. But if you love God and you love others, 
That's your calling. That's how you're going to have an impact on the people around you. It doesn't matter whether you go to California and you do all of this ministry work over here, or if you go to this direction and you go work at this church, or what if I just end up working at Whataburger and like, I hate the golf course. I don't want to work at the golf course again. And it's like, none of those things matter. Just follow Jesus, love God, love others. And that's going to be a transformational thing. It's not a position. It's not a title. It's not the right internship or job that affects kingdom change on the people around us. It's simply us just being willing to engage with the reality. And that means just loving God and loving others, living out the truth and the character of God in the context we already inhabit. So that would be my encouragement for you guys. As you guys, some of you guys are staying here for the summer. Some of you guys are traveling near. Some of you guys are traveling far. Just follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Love God. Love others. Follow your interests, your passions, your giftings, and go where God takes you. And walk with confidence. Walk with confidence because God has already given you his, his will and his direction in your life. And your openness to the work of the Holy Spirit is what's going to lead you into the specific context. But go with confidence, leading with your passion and your gifting and your personality, loving God and loving others. Thanks again for tuning in to the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Make sure you are following Crosstalk on social media at Crosstalk underscore TXST. If you have any questions for the Crosstalk team, you can send us a message on those pages. We will see you here again next week.